Um, before I start, I actually, I want to do something that's nothing to do with the children's center. Nora, is, is, is Nora here? Nora got baptized. Is she still here? Nora, and is that her mom and dad that's beside her? I, I just want to share something with you. I really felt that uh, God impressed in me. He said, you're a beautiful and talented young girl, but so is Miley Cyrus, and so are Britney Spears, and they've allowed their beauty and their talent to be corrupted. And mom and dad, I want you to do something today, if you would. I want you to show her, teach her what a plumb line is. Okay, if you don't have one, go to Home Depot today and buy one. I want you to show her what a spirit level is. And I want you to show her how a plumb line and a spirit level produces a perfect cross. And I want you, Nora, if this is being recorded, to get this. And at least once a year, I want you to listen to this. Don't do anything that doesn't line up with the plumb line and the spirit level. And watch your beauty and your talent grow as God meant it to be. Okay? I want to cry, not talk. I want to tell you a bit about Honduras, because that's where I come from. You probably guessed that I'm not Honduran, though. I said to people earlier on today that I actually feel like I'm some sort of international multicultural meeting all on my own. <laughs> Here I am from Scotland in America telling you about Honduras when I live. It's just a bit weird, really. Honduras is in a little strap that joins North America and South America together. It's one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. We compete with Haiti every year about which of us is poorer. Since the earthquake in Haiti, they're poorer than we are. I don't know whether that puts them higher up or lower down the league table, um, but that's where we are. 70% of our population live in less than $1 a day per household, not per person. We don't make anything that we can export. We grow fruit. We grow vegetables that we sell to countries like North America and countries like European community. And we continually try and push down these prices so we can save a penny a pound in a supermarket. And I just wonder if we actually paid what the prices were really worth, whether countries like this would survive without having to get aid. We've got some of the most beautiful animals that float around our house every day. And we've got some of the most horrible and scary ones that we have to kill Every year, we get our roads washed out, we get our houses flooded, our water and our electricity goes off. But just because you're suffering doesn't mean that you can't stay in fashion. So always remember you can stay in fashion. We work for a hospital, Hospital Loma de Luz. Loma de Luz is Spanish for light on the hill. And on top of our hospital, there's a cross that's illuminated and it can be seen for up to 60 miles out to sea. And uh, we have genuinely become the light on the hill. We're now a formal landmark. If you go on Google Earth, you actually can find Loma de Luz as a landmark on the maps. 
We run a hospital, we have run, see about 100 patients a day, anywhere between 105, actually. It just varies with the weather. But we do full surgical procedures, we do OBGYN, we do cardiology and pediatrics, we run an eyeglass clinic, and every one of our patients is prayed for and has a gospel presented to them. And on average, we see 350 people a year make a commitment to Christ. That's really close on one every day. But I want to tell you about our children's center because that's what Liz and I are passionate about. We have three groups of children that we work with. The first group of kids are kids that are sick and disabled. They're usually referred to us through our own hospital. We have a group of kids who come to us for the sake of access and education because they live in really small communities that can't sustain a school or because their parents are so poor they can't send them. And the third group of kids are kids that would come to us for all the same reasons that kids are taken into care in the United States or in Scotland. Issues of abuse, neglect, abandonment, death of parents. That's what we do. The problem with taking in beautiful little kids like that is that very quickly they grow up into big, beautiful teenage girls. And these handsome little boys grow up into big, horrible, hairy teenagers. <laughs> and the problem with having beautiful young girls and big, hairy teenagers living in the same house, well, you can guess. So we've now built three houses. So we've got a, teen we've got a teenage girls, teenage boys house as well. But these are our children. This is Carla. Carla was eight years old when she came to live with us. She was 27 pounds in weight. Carla's a victim of a society that gives no rights to women and children. When her mum and dad split up, they were, mum and Carla were thrown out in the streets. Carla's mum found another man. He was happy to have her, but he wanted nothing to do with the child. They were just gonna let her starve to death. The only thing the man did was dug a grave behind her house to bury Carla when she died. God rescued her. He brought her to us. We couldn't even find a vein to put an IV in this little girl. We had to sit and feed her spoonfuls of sugared water just to try and get her rehydrated, to help her get high-protein diets for months. And that's the same little girl. Tell me, tell me that my God is not interested in rescuing his children. Little children, like Hennessy's. Mom and dad were killed in a car crash. Her grandmother made such a big effort to try and bring her up, but she was so dirt poor, she just couldn't do it. She made one of the biggest sacrifices I think any grandparent could ever do. She came to the childcare authorities and gave her granddaughter away, saying, please, find someone that can look after my granddaughter better than me. That's Hennessy's. Tell me, my God is not in the business of rescuing his children. I could stand here and tell you story after story after story as all we try to do, that's how you eat beans, by the way, <laughs> of rescues, of seeing a God that cares for his children. And all we try and do is to restore the childhoods that have been stolen from them. And uh, we just want them to grow up and be leaders in their own community. 
We want them to grow up knowing the difference between right and wrong. I want them to grow up knowing that God loves every single one of them. We're still pushing on with new projects. We're developing a bilingual school. Some of you know Jordan. How many of you know Jordan from your church? Well, Jordan is uh, working down in a school in the morning, and she's working with us in the afternoons. And uh, we've got a great little school running there. We've only got kindergarten, first and second grade. We're actually having to run it in the morning and the afternoon because we don't have space. But we're building a brand new school. This is going to be a three-story building, and uh, that's about as far as we've got so far. We need help. We need teachers. If any of you are teachers, you want to give up a year of your life, come down, we'll use you. We've got 52 kids enrolled in the school already, 15 of them from our own children's center. And Liz and my passion is to work with disabled kids. More and more and more we've been working with disabled kids. This is Cindy, 11 years old, 21 pounds in weight. Cindy has cerebral palsy, and she's blind. She needs 24-hour, seven-day-a-week care. She was so full of lice when we first got her, we had to shave her head. I've never seen so many or such big worms in any human being in my life. We spent months just trying to build up her body mass, not doing any therapy, any exercises, just trying to get some weight on this little girl. By Christmas, she's up like this feeding her ice cream on Christmas Day, and she laughed like a drain. Every spoonful of ice cream she got, she'd never had a sensation of ice cream in her mouth. By Easter time, we had her out in the sea, splashing her legs, and she sings little songs to me as she floats around in the river. And just a couple of months ago, she pulled herself up on the arm of a couch, and she just stood there with this amazed look in her face because she'd never been upright before. And within weeks, she's walking. She's walking, just holding on to a finger for balance. And just a few weeks ago, a visiting group down with us had given some of our kids some glow sticks. You know these things you break and they, they glow in the dark? And the kids had discarded some of them. And Liz and I watched as Cindy looked at one and shuffled along the floor and picked it up and waved it in front of her own eyes. The scripture tells us that the lame will walk and the blind will see. And I'm telling you, we are seeing it happening in our own eyes. And the last story I'm going to tell you his little Elkin, 14-year-old, spina bifida boy, never walked, told he never will. We found he actually had some movement in his legs. He had no feeling in his hips and his pelvis. He had no feeling below his ankles, but he had feeling in between. So we exercised him. Let me go back. We exercised him and exercised him. We got special calipers made by a visiting orthopedic surgeon, and we got him up walking in parallel bars. And the last time Bruce was down, this is what happened. Watch this. At 14, the first time he ever walked, and he said, can I go to church? Can I show people what God has done for me? And he walked down our church 
and he stood and he prayed. And that's what we do down in Honduras. And I want to say thank you because a lot of you support us. A lot of you send visitors to us to come down. You are part of this. Do I want more? Yes, I absolutely do. I covet your prayers. I really would love you to send us more money. But more of all, I just want you to know that our God is good. And if there is anything I could motivate you with, there are three scriptures in James that says, if you know what you should do and don't do it, it's sin. He says, true religion before God is to look after the widows and orphans in their times of trouble. He tells us that faith without good works is dead. The evidence of your faith is good works. So what I want to ask you today is practice a sentence. Yes, Lord. And as you go home, as you have your Sunday lunch, I don't care if you remember me, but I would rather you didn't. But what I want you to remember is that God can take a coal miner's son from Scotland, and together we can achieve this. And the only thing I've done is said, yes, Lord. Say yes, Lord. Watch what he'll do. I don't think that you probably need uh, uh, me to come along and say, that was good, uh, because you, you knew that. But I want to tell you something, uh, because I rarely have people up uh, that I've never heard before. And uh, uh, Bruce was so high on the McKenzie's that I went, well, okay, Bruce, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And, and I gave him a particular time limit. And uh, I discovered this morning that uh, both in the telling and then in the, in the actual practice that he worked real hard to be sure and get it into the time limit. <sighs> As a pastor, I thank you. I mean, seriously, uh, there, you, you don't know how many people you'll say, you can have this, and they just assume, well, yeah, uh, that means I, but, but someone who'll go, I'll do what you said to do. Man, that is big. That's big. And then, and then before he, 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 before he uh, spoke to Nora, he, he came and asked me, he said, can I, can I say a word to this, to this girl? You don't know how many people would just go, well, I've got a word. I'm going to, I love your heart, Ian. Love your heart, man. Really do. <laughs> you stand with me? Let's read the passage from John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to the world. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power and the beauty and the, <coughs> and the truth of your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. I pray that you would touch and anoint each heart so that we might see the power and the beauty and the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We tend to think of uh, the Our Father as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom is yours and the power is yours. The glory is yours forever and ever. But that, of course, is the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples. The disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. And, and, he, and he gave them this, this model. You see, our prayers, we tend to, uh, we tend to get in a rut. We, we tend to get stuck in prayers that basically consist of, please, 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 forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please, please, please. You know, that, that, that kind of tends to be where it goes. And Jesus uh, broaden our horizons a little bit and said, there's some more things you can actually pray for here. And these are the things that you should pray. And, and I'm sure Jesus prayed that way as well. But John chapter 17 is really the prayer. This is before he went to Gethsemane. And some people call it his high priestly prayer. And there are elements of it that certainly sound high priestly. But there are also elements of it that sound like a father, a son talking to his father. And, and a servant talking to the one who sent him because that's what's going on here. It's the, 
It's the longest prayer of Jesus's that we have, uh, that we have recorded for us in Scripture. And there's a bunch of stuff in it. We actually, I actually edited it for the reading, but there's a bunch of stuff in even what we read. But I want to I narrow it down to four things that I just want to touch on this morning. And the first one is this. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In uh, C.S. Lewis's third book of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, he has a story where his characters are mostly on the, on the ship, the Dawn Treader, and they discover this island. And the island is, uh, is, is dark, and it, it has a very ominous, eerie feeling about it. And they end up picking up a, um, a castaway who's been on the island. And he's frantic, and he's, he, he wants them to get away by all means uh, to leave this island. And they go, well, why, you know, what, what, what is this? What is this place? He says, it's the island where dreams come true. And they begin to think, the island where dreams come true? Well, why would we want to get away from that? You know, we, let's go. Let's go check this out. And as he realizes that that's what they're thinking, he becomes hysterical and goes, no, no, you don't. It's the island where dreams come true. All of your dreams come true. And they begin to realize, oh, that might not be a good thing. Uh, it's not that I get to pick and choose which dreams come true. They all come true. I had the weirdest dream night before last uh, I, I, I didn't tell Margaret about it because I kept forgetting, but I'll tell everyone. Uh, and, <laughs> but I was, I was walking, I was down, uh, I was over here by uh, Sam Ridley Parkway, and I was walking by, by the, the road, but Sam Ridley Parkway was kind of up on a, sort of a, a cliff. It was like 30 feet above the area where I was walking, and I'm going, well, that, that's weird. That's changed. That's something that's a little different. And, and, and all of a sudden, I saw this the biggest elephant that I ever saw in my life come up across and he looked mean and I thought boy I'm glad he's up there and I'm down here uh, and the next thing I knew that sucker jumped off of the cliff and was coming down I thought he's an elephant he's gonna die he's gonna he's gonna land and die but he landed light as a feather <laughs> turned around and looked at me and uh, I woke up because I didn't want to die in my dream uh, <laughs> Not all dreams are dreams that you actually want to see come to pass. From, uh, I don't know, from the beginning, one of the dreams of mankind has been to live forever. Eternal life. What a, what a magnificent thing. I mean, and it's in there because we actually have an eternal soul inside of us. But it's something that we've always wanted. And if you go to St. Augustine, Florida... Uh, which I did as an eight-year-old, you discover that they actually have the fountain of youth there that the explorer Ponce de Leon found. And based on what you see there, he's doing pretty well. Uh, he's a little stiff, but, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't need a facelift or anything. However, based on what you see here, I can tell you that fountain doesn't work. I may look a little younger than my actual age, but I didn't drink enough, obviously, of the water. I only got a little bit of it. 
Uh, and so I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I can't do some of the things that I used to do and kind of, kind of, kind of moving on along to live forever is not nearly as enticing a prospect to me if it's going to be like this. When you get right down to it, if it's, if it, if it's going to be like this, we're already going to exist forever. When, man, when God created us, when he created mankind, he formed man from the dust of the ground, and we'll return to the dust, these bodies will, but he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and we became a living soul, and that soul doesn't die. That, that, that soul will already exist forever. And eternal life, eternal existence is not something that is a very happy prospect. My dad was 92 when he died. And he, he, had a, he, had a, he had a good life. I mean, you know, he, uh, everybody at church called him grandpa, and everybody, uh, you know, laughed at his jokes, and, and he, could, uh, he had the, the means to cook all the, the fat back and collard greens that he wanted to, and he would do that virtually every day. And, uh, but when, when, by the time he was 92, he wasn't all that interested in staying around here. My mom was 84, and she had some physical issues. She was chomping at the bit to get out of here. But it's not even the physical thing. The older that I get, the more I realize this life, it, and I've got a good one. I'm not playing, you know, I don't, I don't want to check out this week. But this life loses its grip. The, the things of earth begin to lose their hold, uh, their hold on us. I mean, I'd like to do this maybe for another 30 or so years, but I don't want another 100 years of this. And not just because, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. I don't want another 100 years of this because there's just too much, there's just too much suffering. There are too many 23-pound 8-year-olds being shuttled into orphanages, and for every one that is, there's another 1,000 that aren't. They just pass off the scene. So, so much stuff happening in the world, and every now and then some of it's focused in on, and we go, oh, that's horrible, and oh, it is horrible, but for every one that we see, there's 10,000 horribles that we don't see that go on all the time behind it, and, you know, I just, I, I don't want this forever. But eternal life, Jesus defines it here. He says, it's to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, eternal life is to live forever, but not in our present state. It's to live forever in the, in the image of God, which we're being transformed into. We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And to have the quality of life that God has, this, this, this transformation can only take place as we come to know Him, but to have that is, is a wonderful thing. Four times in the New Testament, He's called a God of peace. And, and the older I get, the, the more peace is such a beautiful and, and wonderful thing. I mean, to have a, have, a, have a mind that's at peace, to have a heart that's at peace, the reason why we as a, as a nation enjoy much the prosperity that we enjoy, I mean, it's not really because, you know, we're big, we got a lot of stuff, we're smart, we work hard, we're the best. It's because we've had over a century and a half with no war. In our, I mean, to live in a land torn by war 
It's a terrible thing. It's an awful thing. He's a God of peace. Not only that, he's the God of all comfort. And comfort is a, it's a wonderful thing. Comfort never, comfort never goes out of style. Never, never gets old. And it doesn't come in a bottle. God is the God of all comfort. And the psalmist says that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And in his right hand are, are pleasures forevermore. You know, most people by the time they become an adult don't even know what joy is anymore. Wouldn't know it. In fact, when they see it, they, they're afraid of it. It's kind of like, no, stay away. But joy is a wonderful thing. It, it makes life full and rich and colorful. And, and, and in, in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, we, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the faults, one of the deficiencies, that's the word I'm looking for, one of the deficiencies in North American Protestant religion is the fact that we tend to think that pleasure and God are incompatible with one another. Now, I'm not talking about the pleasure of sin for a season. That's the one that leaves a bad taste in your mouth and a hollow hole in the middle of your stomach. But, but God, I'm talking about the, the pleasures that, that come from Him. They're the ones that, that fill you up. They're the ones that leave that sweet, sweet fragrance in your life. Isaiah says, and speaking of the new heavens and new earth, and it's actually God speaking through him, says, be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. You know, I, I do, some, I do uh, some theater every now and then. And, and creating is, and, and some of you write, some of you paint, some of you uh, are photographers and things. And, when, and when, you, when you hit that creative muse, when you hit that place, doesn't it just bring you alive? I mean, you, don't you just suddenly feel like, yeah, there's just this buzz going on. Some of you write music, and when a, when a song comes to you, it's like, wow. And, and being, in a, being in a play, I mean, we just closed one that was a lot of fun, and, and it was great because, uh, you know, backstage, these, the, when, when something great would happen on stage, they'd be going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you just feel like that. And of course, we're here on earth, and and the muse leaves, leaves, the play closes, and all that business, and you kind of, oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but, but with God, with God, this, this creation is, is happening. That's the quality of eternal life. It continually is, is flowing and, and continually and increasing. Be glad and rejoice forever. What I will create. Eternal existence isn't too promising. That eternal life is what we all long for. Another point in here, he said, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And Jesus is the living word. As such, he would have the same qualities as the, the spoken word, the written word of God. Isaiah 55 says, The word that goes out of my mouth will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And so Jesus accomplished what God the Father desired and achieved the purpose for which he sent it. But you may kind of wonder here, how could he say this before the cross? How could he say, I've completed the work that you gave me to do? Uh, well, a couple things. One, I mean, it is finished 
first of all, literally means the debt has been paid. Uh, the debt for sin in our lives, which the, the New Testament says the wages of sin is death. The, the law of sin and death is the soul that sins will die. Jesus paid the price for that. It, it, it is finished. And that was certainly one of the things that the Father sent him to do. But the job of making God known was accomplished not on the cross but in his life. And the hard work wasn't the cross. I've never run a marathon, but if I, if I were to, which I might on a bicycle, if I were to run a marathon, I would not quit on the last 10 yards. I mean, the last 10 yards might be hard, but they wouldn't be the hardest part. The hardest part is those other 26 miles something or other uh, that you have to go to get there. And the hardest part, quite frankly, for Jesus wasn't the cross. He put up with us for 33 years. And for all of those 33 years, he showed God's love. For all of those 33 years, he, he, he never sinned. He never did a selfish thing. In 33 years, the people pulling at him and grabbing at him, that's the hard part. I mean, I, I, I've never run a marathon, never been on the cross, but I've raised kids. And it's hard when they leave. That's, that's, that's a hard deal, whether they get married or they're going off to the military or going off to school. But, it, you know, when they leave and you know that they're never coming back again, that's a hard thing. But it's not nearly as hard as all of those all of those diapers and all of those dirty dishes and all, and all of those insurance payments and all of those uh, discipline situations that you had to deal with and things like that and new shoes, you know, for, for decades. That's been, well, you know, two decades maybe. You know, it's been going, it just feels like many more than that. It's been going on. That's the hard part. And when Jesus was saying this, when he was sending this prayer up, he was less than 24 hours to remain here on the earth. And I think he was at a place where he could say, I finished the work you sent me to do. I showed them what you are. I showed them how you look and how you feel about them and the way that you move. My, the part that I tend to focus on and like the best in this passage, though, is his prayer for unity. And uh, it's four verses, verses 20 through 23. I'm going to condense them down and break down some of this. This is what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. He certainly wasn't just praying for the people in that room. He's praying for us. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, the message of the gospel. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus makes it clear that we're included in this prayer. And he's praying for unity. Doctrine is important. Some of it's vital. Uh, but it is important. But our unity uh, 
Jesus didn't pray that we'd get our doctrine sorted out. He didn't pray that we would all agree about what things are okay and what things are not okay. Read Romans 14. Our unity isn't based on the position that we have regarding the second coming. It isn't based on our position that we have uh, regarding the gifts of the Spirit or the baptismal formula or, or, or much less arcane arguments over free will or, or versus God's sovereignty or apostolic secession or titles. or anything. That's not what it's based on. There was, a, there was a guy this last week that was in a situation where I needed to find out if he was a believer or not. I needed to find out if he was a brother. And you know what? I didn't go up to him and ask him, well, you think the Lord's coming back before the tribulation or not? Yeah. When you baptize people, do you, do you say all three names or just one? Yeah. No, I went up to him and I said, uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, and do you own him as your Lord and Savior? And the guy said, no. Well, you know, I don't care what he thinks about anything else. He's not, he's not, a, he's not in the family. I, I'd like for him to be, but he's not. Had he said yes, there may be any number of things that we would disagree on. In fact, there would be because uh, his life and the way that he lives it is not the way I choose to live mine. But he'd still be, still be my brother, still belong to me. As part of our family, Jesus prayed for unity because it does two things, two important things. It causes the world to believe that Jesus came from God, and it causes the world to believe that God loves them. That, that's specifically what he said it would do. We pour so much effort and so many resources into trying to convince the world that John 3.16 is true. That God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son who died on the cross and so that anyone who believed in him would have eternal life. And if we would just strive for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, those things would already happen. We wouldn't have to convince the world of them. They would know it. That's what Jesus said. Is that it, is it they would... Imagine how much easier it would be to lead people to Christ if everybody you spoke to already knew that Jesus came from God, already knew that God loved them. And you didn't have to... You, you could start from that point and then say, well, well come on. Why, why, why don't you come? Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. Well, this is verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We make every effort to do so many things, but this is rarely one of them. This is rarely up at the top of the list as something that's important for us to have. You know, it's important for us to agree about this, or it's important for us to agree about that. And you certainly are doing this, aren't you? But, you know, when it comes to the unity and, and, and of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that's an asterisk. That's kind of, that tends to be an afterthought. Ephesians says, make every effort to do that. 
And you know what? When it says make every effort, the implication is it'll take some effort. The implication is that it's not just a matter of something that's going to happen. It's not just a matter of all, let's just smile and be happy with each other. No, there are going to be times that you have to fight for it. That you have to go, I'm not running. I'm staying. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to love through this. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. That's how it's accomplished. And it's an important and valuable and precious thing. How wonderful it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious anointing oil flowing down over Aaron's head and beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon falling upon Zion. For there the Lord commands his blessing to reside. Eternal life. Life forevermore. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God the Father who is over all and through all and in all. And that's what the Scripture tells us right after it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. One last thing. We'll close with this. Jesus closed with it. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Continue to make you known. That's eternal life, to know him. And one of the side effects doesn't sound like the right word, but, uh, phrase, but I'm going to use it. One of the side effects or, or uh, one of the marks that he's being made known in our life is that the love that the father had for the son is being revealed in us. And I don't think he's saying, you know, so that they'll love me the way you love me. No, I think he's saying so that they will love the way you love me. I, I passed by a, a church this, uh, well, actually today. Uh, and it wasn't there before. I mean, the building was there, and it used to be a church, but apparently it hadn't been one for a while, but they got a sign in the yard now. So it's, it's now a church. And the, the name of the church was True Love Church. And when I saw it, I thought, uh, well, you know, I don't always even think something when I see the name of a church. I just don't always think something. But... Uh, but I, I did in this particular case, it just kind of came unbidden to me. And, you know, and it wasn't like, that's, that's a really strange name. I've never heard that as a name for a church, though I've never heard that as a name for a church. That wasn't what came to my mind. As, as soon as I passed by and I said, True Love Church, the thing that instantly popped into my mind was, Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Because so often it isn't. But it's God's desire to be revealed in us so that it would be. To know God is to have God's love. Agape, unconditional, sacrificial love that reveals Christ and draws all of the weary and, and heavy laden and, 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 and burdened down and slugging through the, 
the, the muck of this world that draws all of them to him because it's what they're all looking for. And through the power and the grace of Christ, we can offer that. Would you stand with me? Yeah, as, uh, as Ian was showing those, those pictures, especially of those three kids, four kids, that there had been this miraculous transformation, it occurred to me, you know, I mean, yeah, the sugar water and the, and the, and the protein and the therapy and all that stuff, that helped. Uh, but it was love that restored those kids. It's love that restores them. But those who are going to minister to people, uh, those who are going to pray with people, come forward and if you're here this morning and you, you need some of this, <laughs> you need something, uh, you need to know Christ. Maybe you've never, never met him. Maybe this is kind of like, wow, that's, I've never heard this before. Sounds pretty good, though. It's even better than I can make it sound, but yeah, it does sound pretty good. Or maybe you're, uh, you need a physical touch. You need some guidance. You need some wisdom. You need some comfort need some peace, whatever you need, uh, you come, and we would like to pray with you. And if you don't need to come, worship with us for a few moments as we wait on those who do.
not the strange name of some strange deity. It means breath of God. Raise your hands. Let me give you a blessing. May may the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world to reveal to the world his beauty, his nature, his character, and his love, May that revelation continue in your life. And may those who see you desire to draw near to him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.